Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Joe is um, not only one of my best friends, but he's one of my tallest friends. Uh, He's on the team with God's Not Dead, uh, touring the nation and even the world uh, with Pastor Rice. And I'll let him tell more about what he does, but we're closing the series, The Better Story. We've been talking about evangelism uh, as a lifestyle, uh, living a life of telling the better story of Jesus, the message of the gospel. And so I'm excited for him to bring the closing week uh, of the Better Story series. Welcome to the stage, coming in his very own way, Joe Penrod. Wow. Wow. Tallest friend. Woo. Okay. Let's see. What did I do here? We're going to do that. Okay, there. Okay, no, I got it unlocked, actually. I know your code now. Bryson, let me use his uh, iPad tonight, so thank you to Bryson. Yes, I am Bryson's tallest friend, but there's actually, I think, kind of maybe a height requirement for the God's Not Dead team. If anyone in here knows Addison Tweedy, you have seen him wandering around the church? The other really tall guy, he looks like a stretched version of Bryson. They're both uh, pretty cool. <laughs> Sorry about that. What a sweet spirit of worship that was this, just a moment ago. That was just awesome. I kind of felt kind of reluctant to leave it, honestly. Uh, but we've got to because uh, I'm ending the series on sharing your story better or sharing a better story. Um, it's a series on evangelism. If this is your first week here uh, for midweek, we're going to be looking into some evangelism. Um, and... It's going to be important to real, like, just realize that we're going to go somewhere a little bit kind of academic, but we're going to go and look at how to use some tools to introduce people to the God we were just singing about, the God we were just worshiping, the God we were just feeling in this room. Anyone? You get, we felt God here. He was showing up and ministering to our hearts. And to introduce people to that God, sometimes we have to go outside and learn how to use something that can appear kind of boring at kind of face level, kind of like um, kind of like a hammer, right? Hammers are pretty boring, but houses, houses are cool. Tools are boring, but what they bring us are really cool. So we're going to study some tools on how to do evangelism. But first, a little bit about me. That is my beautiful family. Yeah, come on. Yeah, okay, okay. Caitlin and Eloise and Winnie, well, not in that order. Caitlin, Winnie, and then Eloise, the little one. Um, and that picture was actually taken at Bryson's house. That's how good of a friend we are. Um, and his, uh, his wife, Rachel, um, took that against his kitchen wall, which just really shows what miracles they can do. Very creative, cool people. Bryson and I both played up hard when we got married. So good job, Bryson. Um, so I work with the God's Not Dead event team. And uh, I'm a campus missionary with Every Nation. Uh, anybody, we're familiar with what Every Nation is. That's our, uh, our family of churches globally. Um, and I work with the campus ministry part of that. And I'm blessed to work with Dr. Brooks doing God's Not Dead events around the country at campuses. Um, we're coming near the point where I can say hundreds of campuses. We've been to 50 since I've joined. So we're halfway there. A little bit about what I do for the team. I set up events. Um, and make it happen. Uh, so I go, I'm one of the first kind of people in the land, uh, kind of like a Caleb and Joshua. I'm exploring 
and finding places where we can do events, going on to campus, leading people to Christ. I like to point out that that guy that looks like I'm arm wrestling, um, I'm actually leading him to Christ. Addison Tweedy actually took a picture of me as I was leading him to Christ. I like this picture particularly because his dad was a Muslim, his mom claimed to be a Mormon, and he was just deeply, deeply confused. And <laughs> after some God testing, which anyone in here know what a God test is? That's an evangelism tool. And I think we're going to be learning how to use that in the weeks to come at the Engage training. I encourage everybody to show up. Um, I'm not sure on the dates, but we'll get those to you. It's going to be awesome. Um, and I was able to lead him into a relationship with Christ that day, in that moment. That's pretty cool. So I dialogue with skeptics. And yes, you can dialogue. You don't have to just argue. And that's what we're going to show you a little bit about tonight. Just, just a little bit about kind of what I've learned as I've um, worked with Dr. Brooks. I've learned, picked up some great, really helpful stuff. So these are kind of my top three on how to understand your own faith in the way that you can share it confidently. Um, and then a little vanity shot of me speaking to a football team. I wasn't that good in high school, so... Uh, we speak to big crowds. I always think it's fun to show that the, you know, that for your own, you know, edification, your own faith, like people on campus want to know about this stuff. People in the next generation want to know. They're coming out in the hundreds. We're getting it to the point where we're cracking the thousands. And um, there's thousands of people accepting Christ. So it's for your own faith and edification, not to linger on these pictures too long. But just to show you the scale of what's happening, this is what happens when Dr. Brooks stands on a stage and shares the gospel from a stage. But tonight we're going to talk about how to maybe share the gospel a little more person to person. That's the opportunity that most of us have. And even working with God's Not Dead, that's the opportunity I have most of the time. I very rarely have the opportunity to stand on a stage and share the gospel. It's almost exclusively one-on-one. -on -one. Love this shot. Last one. App State. Capacity on that room was like 420 we had 711 people in there. Sorry, Fry Marshall. It was just so cool to see the Appalachian State was really, really excited for this event. So, but enough about that. I want to give you guys some brief, now again, this is the tools. We're going to get to some scripture at the end, but I want you to bear with me and learn how to use a hammer, a screwdriver, and maybe like a level on the way there. You guys get the principles. And it wouldn't be a God's not dead style event if we didn't bring up the Saul principle. My people, anyone know the Saul principle? Have you seen this before? If you've ever seen Dr. Brooks speak, he brings it up almost every time he talks. Um, I'm going to be sharing this with the youth next week. So if your kids start acting better, you can thank me because this is how we're teaching them to communicate. But it's how I want everyone to communicate when they're talking about the gospel. We've got to start the conversation. Say it with me. Ready? Start the conversation. Ask questions. Listen, and then tell the story slash talk. Salt is the principle that we're building all of our personal evangelism on, at least what I'm building all my personal evangelism on. And honestly, as you get this ingrained in your head and in your mind, this is one of the, the fundamentals for using the God test. As you get this implanted in your mind, you'll find yourself communicating with everybody with this principle. You'll, you can't get it out of your head. You'll start conversations with people. You'll be a little more bold. You'll be the one asking questions, making them feel important. Then you'll start listening to them, and, you, and they'll realize that you're listening to them. They'll be like, whoa, someone actually listened to me as I talked. And then when you are able to tell what you're thinking, they'll value it even more. It's just, it's an incredible principle that you should just learn whether you're going to go share the gospel with anybody or not, which I hope you will.
um, and this is just laying kind of the groundwork for what we're going to talk about. Uh, this is my own kind of invention, the ABCs for sharing the evidence. Um, when you share the gospel with somebody, you want to have an authoritative understanding of the gospel. And when you communicate, you want it to come off with authority. When, when Jesus first started preaching in his ministry, it says that the people were amazed because he spoke as one with authority about the scriptures because he had was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was, spoke with someone with authority. So you want to be someone that has authority. But authority doesn't just come from that side on the left. You see boldness. A lot of people maybe get that confused. They say authority means I'm bold enough to tell people what to do. But that's not true. It's half the battle. And it's the part of the battle that I really can't help you get around the corner and see. You have to just, when it comes to going out and sharing your faith, that's a battle you have to fight alone. You're going to have to face that point where it's like, it feels uncomfortable. I'm not sure if I can do it. But in the grocery store, there's not really any like worship music playing. And there's no altar call. And you're not, there's no one standing in the front. It's, you're just, you're between the catalogs and the hunts catch up and you're, you just have to share the gospel with somebody and that takes boldness. So that's one part of it, but I really can't teach you how to do that. You just have to decide, get the gumption to do it, like jumping in the pool. The other side, however, we can talk about, we can work on, we can get more certain of what we believe about Jesus, Right? We can be more certain about it. Now, there's a couple different aspects to this, but that's the, that's the bulk of what I want to focus on here in the ABCs. Because ultimately, I think the B side, if you're at Wednesday night church, you're my bold people. You guys are the, the chosen ones showing up on Wednesday, midweek. Come on. Come on, Jasmine. You're here, and you, you're, gonna, you're more likely to be bold but we can work on the certainty part. And you see, I put the salt there at the bottom because boldness is what it takes to start the conversation. You see the S down there. But certainty is what it takes to have a good story to tell, which is our series. So just tip one out of my three apologetic tips. And this, I'm telling you, this is like, this is really boring stuff. This is not the hype stuff. This, again, this is the tool. Practice framing discussions when you're talking to somebody. And before you even talk to somebody, when you think about something you want to say, practice framing the discussion. What does that look like? Being ready not to be confrontational because the SALT method, if you do it well and you build rapport with people and you're asking them questions, you probably won't have to get to a point where you have to shut down maybe an idea that they have. But I've, I've done God testing and personal evangelism with a lot of people on campuses and a lot of people have some really wacky ideas that they're really holding on to and believe. But you have, so you have to kind of hold this in your back pocket as certainty. This is your own kind of thing that you won't have to pull out very often, but you'll know you're prepared to pull this out. You have the authority to pull this out when you need it. Is that not all ideas are created equal. What does that mean? This is, well, I... I can't say what does that mean twice. It means that there is a realm of possibility. And that's the final point in this, in, in this thing. So I'm getting ahead of myself. But this is something that Pastor Rice tells me constantly. And that we talk about constantly with the God test. And it's why it's so important. Is that you're only responsible for the questions that you ask. Again, that frames the conversation. 
You don't have to go outside of the depth that you're comfortable in to answer questions with unbelievers. And in, in Brentwood, Tennessee, and Antioch, and, and, and Franklin, and Dixon, wherever you are, you're not going to be facing a whole lot of kickback. Regionally, you know, and, and culturally in the South, I run into way more believers in God than I do atheists. Now, it's up for debate whether they're Christians or not, and that's what we're after, but they have a baseline of believing in God. But you still have to frame the discussion. And when you use a tool like the God test, uh, and when you use the SALT method, you're only responsible for the questions that you ask. So you don't have to go into explaining something about Scientology to somebody. You don't understand it. I don't understand it. Pretty sure they believe in aliens. So I don't think we got to get into it. You can just use the information that you put on the table. And ultimately, it's not about what's possible when you're having a rational conversation. It's about, and not about what's possible, it's about what's rational given the evidence. Okay? And again, stay with me. This is not the fire that you were expecting for an evangelism sermon. But this is the stuff that counts in a moment where the pressure is on. Because when, you're, when someone come, you know, comes back at you with something like this, which is very plausible, when you're on a campus, I've faced this multiple times, where someone has listened to a guy named Christopher Hitchens. He's one of the most famous atheists in the world. And he says, well, what if God is just a giant flying spaghetti monster? He says that. And you know what? The, the, the sad thing is it's possible. Because when we're talking about a rational argument, uh, well, using uh, the, the laws of argumentation, anything is possible. And to give you kind of an example, um, and I might be using this example too early, but it's really, really good. It's, if I decide to walk from here to there, strictly speaking, it is possible that if I step on one of these cracks, I might break my mother's back. You've heard that one? Now, there's been a lot of walking throughout all of time. It's one of the first things you learn how to do. We're trying to teach our Eloise how to walk right now. She's one year old. And um, you do it from very early on. And, and, and really, in all of recorded history that I can understand in Google, there is nothing to suggest that if I step on a crack, it's going to break someone's back. But it certainly is possible but it wouldn't be considered rational. So if I had that fear, I would actually have to, you know, a lot of people, they, they might struggle with that. So I'm not trying to make fun, but there's people with, with disorders that cause them to have deep fears about that kind of thing. You would have to go get help on how to conquer that fear that's considered irrational so that you could be part of society. And on the very, very extreme end, um, it's, it's certainly possible, right? Because we're all hoping for the return of Jesus that someone claiming to be Jesus right now could be Jesus. Now bear with me. But most of the people claiming to be Jesus are, are not welcome into members of, welcomed into society. A lot of them end up in institutions where they're trying to be rehabilitated because it's so irrational. It's so at the far end of what's possible that it's actually considered dangerous. So when I say not every idea is created equal, it's not. It's not. You don't have to believe whatever anyone says. You don't even have to really treat it as if it's something that you can discuss rationally. 
you can just say, well, that's not very rational. And you can say, kindly, the smile, you know, well, let's not talk about that because that's not rational. There's no way to test it. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself, and this happens many, many times, I find myself talking to a physics major or a physics PhD that's talking about what might be possible, and I say, hey, let's look at the science. And I'm the Christian. <laughs> and I'm the crazy one. I'm the, I'm the religious fanatic. I should be saying, no, 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 it's possible. No, I'm saying, let's look at what's rational, because... We have a God that can be understood by what's been made. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Acts 1.8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be called to be a witness. It doesn't say called to be a crazy person. A witness. A witness sits in a jury or sits in a stand and tells people what they saw in a rational way in court. We're called to be a witness. So... Talking about court proceedings, here's the second point. Ugh. Stick with me, guys. Abductive reasoning. It's the best explanation. And does anyone, any, first of all, I mean, anyone understand, know what abductive, have you ever even heard that term? I hadn't heard that term until I, until I started working with Dr. Brooks, okay? So don't feel bad if it's like, what is that? But it, simply put, it's the best explanation given the facts that you know. Okay, so in a court proceeding, that would be considered something like uh, when someone's convicted of wrongdoing, it's because it's beyond a reasonable doubt that anyone else did it but them. But the important thing is reason there. It's not beyond any doubt. And so we're using abductive reasoning. This is what we know, and this is the explanation. They also, uh, uh, a similar uh, construct within reasoning is Occam's razor, I'm, pull, I'm pulling you all the way back to high school. Y'all remember that in high school? Where it talks about, you know, you're going you're gonna to cut off all of the stuff that doesn't make sense. You're going to put it over here, and you're going to, the inference to the best explanation. And this contrast, um, one second, that contrast, I, w- I meant to say deductive there. Oh, no, it does say deductive. Abductive reasoning adds contrast to deductive reasoning. Almost sounds like I'm being redundant, but abductive, deductive. Um, if anyone a fan of like Batman or Sherlock Holmes, they're solving cases using deductive reasoning. They're sitting and they're thinking about what's, what's, the, uh, what's the possibilities here. And deductive reasoning is using information that everyone knows and premises that everyone knows. So it uses a contrast here. I'm not saying you can't use deductive reasoning too, but abductive makes it to where you, you're still framing the argument. It's about what you know. It's not about these premises that everybody is, is talking. It's just, look, this is what I know. And it's vitally important to be, f- be familiar with those facts that you're going to abduct with. Okay? I feel like I'm teaching like kind of a high school class right now. You get what I'm saying? It's, it's, this is, and when I say the facts, I'm talking about the facts of the gospel, but also I'm talking about your testimony. What happened to you? Peter says, be, res- be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. So people should be seeing it. People should be asking, what happened to you? How come that's on you? Why do you have so much peace? Why do you have so much hope? Why do you have so much joy? And then you should be ready to give them a reason. You should be familiar with the facts behind your faith because 
as, as, as much as we're talking about being able to prove this objectively, it's actually very subjective as well. You can't, this doesn't, this doesn't work without Jesus changing you. This isn't just an academic exercise. Because he changed me. Because I'm going to tell you right now, in high school, I did not see myself using 90% of the words I just used as a job to explain to people. But what I did is I learned how to use the tools that were best at winning people over to the God that I love that saved me. So it's kind of boring, but you know what? Push-ups are boring, but touchdowns are awesome. Running five miles is super stinking boring, but winning a race is awesome. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a little bit addicted to the feeling when someone says, you know what? It makes sense. What do I do? You say, we can pray to the God that I just told you about right now. He's alive. He's so alive. Jesus is so alive. He could walk in there right now. He could walk in. Do you understand? He's still got his body, all of it. He could come into our church building right now. He's right around the corner. So when we talk about Jesus coming back, let's get a little more excited. We don't have to be scared. That one's for free. Minimal facts theory, okay? So this is getting your facts straight because you are the only one that can teach yourself your testimony. You've got to look back into your life and learn how to tell your story. The apostle Paul in the end of Acts tells his testimony like five times. And it's almost the same each time. He was really, really familiar with the facts. And then he went on into the rest of his epistles to tell his testimony again and again. And again, he used it all the time. Do not, I'm telling you, do not discount the power of your testimony. No matter how boring you think it is, maybe you were never on drugs, maybe God never saved you from something terrible, but there is power in your testimony. The Bible says there's power. Not to make light of this situation, but did anyone been following this, the situation with the submarine that went down to see the Titanic? So, it's so tragic. This is not about, this is, this is not about the sub. It's very tragic that they went and perish. It's about the Titanic. I, we work with a physicist named Dr. Michael Gillen, um, who's been all over the news lately because he was actually the first journalist ever to report from the wreck of the Titanic. 20, uh, 23 years ago in 2000, September of 2000, he went down in a Russian sub to the bottom of the ocean and was reporting from down there and got stuck in the wreckage for two hours. So he's been, on, he's been all over television. He's been able to share a little bit of his testimony. He's an incredible believer. That's beside the point, but that's really the big point is the power. Look, the Titanic is 4,000 meters underneath the ocean, 12,000 feet underneath the ocean, at the very bottom, covered in all kinds of stuff, cracked in half. It's dead in the water. It's not coming back up. Do you ever think it could? By raise of hands, are we ever bringing the Titanic up? People have a hard time even getting there. You think we're ever bringing it up? No. The Bible says people that are, people are dead in their trespasses and sin. The world that we're trying to reach is dead in their trespasses. They're as far away from the surface as the Titanic is from the surface, and they're as far away. So what is it going to take to bring up Bring up the dead things. It's going to take power that you don't have. But the Bible says there's power in your testimony. There's power in that. 
And there's power in the gospel. And the gospel is true. There's a guy named Dr. Gary Habermas who got his doctorate in, um, at Michigan State, PhD. Um, simply titled The Minimal Facts Theory of the Gospel. He's considered the foremost uh, scholar on the resurrection. He's got many, many points. Some of them are a little too tedious to, to get into, so I'm going to bring up five of his minimal facts. But these are enough to arm you with some tools to really, really drive the certainty home. If you'll use abductive reasoning, and you'll frame this, frame this discussion, okay? Jesus was executed by crucifixion. Who's seen this before? This is something we've shown. Dr. Brooks shows this a lot. Jesus was executed by crucifixion. No historian argues that. His tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. That's very key. In this time, women's testimonies weren't permitted in court. So if they were making this up, this would be the worst way to make it up. Okay? Anyone ever made up a lie for your mom? Who broke the window with the baseball? You're going to try to use some really pertinent stuff. This is not what they've done. His disciples claimed Jesus appeared to them after his death. Really key here, plural. A lot of them. As many as 500 of them. And there's no evidence that we've ever had some mass hallucination event of everyone seeing the same thing at one time. That just doesn't happen. The resurrection was proclaimed very early, the day after it happened, or the day it happened. In the end of Luke, two disciples see it. They're so moved, they sprint back to Jerusalem. It's not considered very cool to sprint. Back in those days, if you're a guy, it's actually considered shameful, but they were so excited, they ran. It was told very, very early, which means they didn't have a whole lot of time to everyone corroborate and get, get their, okay, let's get the facts straight. This is what happened. Uh, we sold Jesus' body, and it happened in the place that it would have been most easy to, to debunk. It happened in Jerusalem. That's where it all started, and that's where he died. It'd be very simple to disprove that if, it, if everyone there had seen it. And then one of my favorites was that Saul of Tarsus changed from being a persecutor to a defender of the Christian faith. He wrote at least seven letters that he signed personally. He said, no, no, no. He signed his testimony. He wrote it down. He signed it. And now we all get to read it. And what kind of power does that have? Do you see how much power Paul's testimony has? We're reading it today and all of us collectively that we, we get edified by that. Do not discount your own testimony. So if we use, now let's recap, if we'll use a framing saying, this is what I know. This is what I know happened. So I'm convinced of, this is what I'm certain of. And then we say, what's the best explanation of all these facts? How could you, how could you come up with an explanation using these facts other than, this guy's probably alive. I don't think Jesus is dead. I think he came back. And then couple that with the fact that you turned your life around. You have something really powerful to share with someone. If you've helped, if you've seen them, if you've listened to them, if you've asked them questions, gotten to know them, the story that you're ready to tell, it's going to be a better story. But to get to that point, and briefly as we end, I want to look at the scripture because I told you it was coming. We have to have 
there's a lot of things we have to have from Jesus, right? I mean, obviously, we're trying to be more like him every day. But a way to see the world is what I want from Jesus the, the most when it comes to my ministry. I want to see it the way he sees it. I want him to reframe the way I see the world. The same way you're trying to help other people reframe it. I need him to reframe it every day. Because this passage is really familiar to us. I won't make everyone read it all at one time like we do on Sunday morning. Last Sunday, Pastor James didn't even give us the verses. That was, that was mean, Pastor James. But I'll, we'll break it apart. Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. There's a lot of what God's Not Dead does. Synagogues are schools. Bethel is committed to going to campuses, going to the synagogues that are around, this, around Bethel, proclaiming the gospel. We're not backing away from it. That's what we say. What I just said is what we say at all the campuses. Healing diseases and afflictions. Those crowds I showed you at the beginning of the, the beginning. Hundreds of people. Students. The people that are generally throwing the first bricks at riots these days. Generally accepting some of the craziest ideology. Generally pushing people away further and further from God by their lifestyles. But then just crowds in general. Instead of being afraid of them, instead of being worried about what they could do to our country on the eve of 4th of July, <laughs> instead of being worried about that, how about we, if I could just reframe it and have compassion when I see the crowds. And he gives you a reason, because they're harassed and they're helpless, they're being inundated with ideas, with, with, with these authoritative, convicted people, people. I mean, they're convicted of what they believe, saying that what, what Jesus stands for is wrong, like sheep without a shepherd. And during worship, I was reminded of a really good friend of mine that he was so like a lion. He was just the lion that would roar out, like Jasmine seen. he was just the lion. And it just reminded me that there's, there's really, there's a battle going on. I want to have those eyes. I want to be able to see it. I don't want to be nervous because I don't want to be, I don't want to buckle under the pressure, but there's a battle going on. There's, there's, there's creatures out there that want to do, do violence to the sheep that don't have a shepherd. And the lion has to rise up in us to go and protect these, to go and get them. I mean, you can think of it like a mama's heart, like a, like a father's heart, a shepherd. Go and help them. Reason with them. Labor with them. It's hard. Push-ups aren't fun. Please go. And a lot of times we forget this is Jesus' own prayer request. I wish I'd put the letters in red. Jesus prayed this. He said, this was his prayer request to the disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest 
to send laborers into the harvest. Guys, I can tell you a bunch of cool little things that I've picked up along the way trying to lead people to Christ that are tools, and I can encourage you to use them, but until we let God change that part of our heart, we gotta let it happen. We gotta let it, we gotta get there. This is the gospel we proclaim. I wanted to put it up there because you may not know it yet. I don't know who I'm talking to. I usually I get, again, like I said earlier, I get a one-on-one conversation with most people. But up here, this is what we believe. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He identified with our struggles. He lived the life we should have lived, perfect life, never did anything wrong, which means he earned the right to go to heaven. We don't stop and think about that very often. When Jesus died, it was kind of like a fork in the road. He could have just said, I did it, bye, because he was human and he was God. But instead he chose to die the death we deserved, took the consequences for our sin. But the good news is that if we look at the facts, three days later, he came back from the dead, proving that he's God's son. He passed the ultimate test. Not a PhD, not a bench press. There's nothing, there's no test like death. And Jesus passed it for us. And he offers forgiveness for sins to anyone who repents and believes. So, If you've never said that, if you've never seen that, if you've never prayed that, let's all bow. You can pray that right now. You can just say, you don't have to use any words. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but you can just talk to that God that's alive. So let's bow. Just, if that was you, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you didn't stay in a grave. Even though it was so hard, you got back up. Came back, proved your love for us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. And if that was you for the first time understanding that and realizing that, you can just say to God, I want that too. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. Help us all have a safe weekend of holiday. And thank you for all the people that served. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. Amen.